Now, when you think about the Apostle Paul, what is one word that you could describe him with? Bold, yeah. Fearless, courageous. He wasn't a coward, was he? He wasn't a coward. He didn't, he didn't flinch in the face of adversary. There was a reason for that. He didn't cower and turn back or retreat. Uh, and he sits in a Roman prison, pending down his last words to his son, if you will, in the faith, Timothy. Well, we look at the last chapter and we see tremendous, a tremendous letter written, last words of encouragement uh, for one mentor to uh, encourage a young man that loved the Lord in a wicked world. And simply conveying some truths to him uh, that would encourage Timothy himself to be faithful to the end. This letter was his final letter written to Timothy from a prison. And in chapter 4, we, he does give Timothy a sober charge. We see not only Timothy mentioned, but also about 17 people in this one chapter. 17 people mentioned. And I want to allude to several of them today, uh, learning from their character. And in this chapter, we see at least three admonitions given to Timothy. And with each admonition, we see the reason why he gives them. And also, we see a common thread, thread throughout these admonitions to be faithful. And so, first of all, we see in our text is to preach the word. In verse 2, he says, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. In other words, be faithful in preaching the word. Why? What's the reason? Well, he gives that in verse 3. In verse 3, he says, For the time will come when they will not endure well. what? Sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap themselves teachers having itching ears. In other words, they'll run to teachers uh, that would simply you know, teach and preach those things that they want to hear. Uh, Sugar-coated messages, feel-good messages. Isn't that today? Isn't that what we're seeing today? Like, we're, we're seeing it, you know, uh, you know, on YouTube. If you watch YouTube, you see a lot of uh, you know, preachers that are preaching in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, but preachers, preaching messages that are absolutely blasphemous, that do not promote the Lord Jesus Christ, only but themselves, and, and, and do not in any way, shape, or form promote holiness, but rather turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. And we see that take place. That day, I'll tell you, has come. He says it will come. This is prophecy coming alive even today. This is why he, re he says to Timothy, look, preach the word but another admonition he gives is not only to preach the word but to practice what you preach he says practice and fulfill and finish your ministry Timothy look at verse 5 but watch thou in all things endure affliction that's it be faithful endure affliction and he says do the work of an evangelist make full proof of thy ministry why well he says in verse 6 for I'm ready and my uh, to be offered and the departure of my, uh, and my time of departure is at hand, it's near, it's drawing nigh. It's amazing how Paul the Apostle uh, says, you know, I'm ready to be offered like he's giving himself as, uh, you know, a sweet smelling savour to God, not only in his life, but now in his death. Wow! Not only says, 
preach the word and be prompt to fulfill and finish your ministry practice, but be prompt and diligent, he says in verse 9, do thy diligence to come unto me shortly, uh, come shortly unto me, why? And from verses 10 to 18, we see some reasons why. Paul has, has been forsaken by many of those that worked with him and knew the truth about him. And over here he's writing to Timothy saying, Timothy, I need you to come. It's a call to be with him for a purpose. And the Apostle Paul had different people serving with him and people serving against him. So I'd like to draw out your attention on several of these people, some good, some bad. And uh, these people that he mentions here that we can learn from them to be like them and not to be like them. There are some people that we want to be like and there are some people that we do not want to be like. There are some people that we want to follow after in their strength, but not necessarily their weaknesses, but learn from them. We all have weaknesses, but there are men in the ministry that are not just, you know, weakened, but they're just, uh, you know, ruthless. We need to be very careful that we do not fall prey in such a manner and such character that we would be heartless in the way we serve our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to bring your attention, of course, to the person Paul is writing to, and this is Timothy. First, we see, number one, Timothy was a follower. He was a follower. By the way, it's been said that leaders are good followers. The Apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And uh, as I look to Christ, follow Christ, you look to Christ, follow Christ. And we see that Timothy was a man that simply followed the, uh, the, uh, Paul the Apostle and did those things that Paul recommended him to do. He wasn't his own independent man. He was a good helper and a good laborer in a ministry. He did that which Paul instructed him to do time and time again. You look at the life of the Apostle Paul giving instruction to Timothy and he did it. And over here he says, I need you to come. I need you to be diligent to come shortly unto me. And there's no doubt Timothy would have. Unless, of course, there were certain things that would have hindered him. But what a remarkable quality to have a, you know, this, uh, you know, uh, strength. I want you to see more of Timothy's strength in uh, the, uh, Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. A little biography Paul gives to the church at Philippi to recommend him. Uh, look at verse 19, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man, what's that word? Like-minded, who thinks like me, like-minded, who will naturally care for your state. First of all, Timothy had a heart for the saints of God naturally caring for the spiritual needs of the saints of God. He makes it very clear he was concerned for the condition of the church. He was considerate regarding the body of Christ. He naturally is concerned or cares for your state. He cares for you. I'm going to send him to you because as I care for you, Timothy will care for you. You know when the Apostle Paul was going through so much pain and heartache and trials and tribulation and he writes it down in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he actually signs off to the Corinthians that all of these things have taken place, shipwrecked, naked, beaten, so forth, danger and perils, and, and, and he's from his own country, man. And then he signs off and says, And I had all, in all this taking place to me, I had the cares upon the church on my heart. 
Now, how can you go through trials and tribulation and continue to think about others? Well, that was the heart of God. And you see in Paul's epistles time and time again, he always thought about others. And he says to the church at Philippi, Timothy cares for you. He naturally cares for your state. Look at verse 22. But you know, uh, sorry, verse uh, 21. He says, for all seek their own. In other words, yeah, he wasn't self-seeking. Timothy wasn't self-seeking. He was a servant seeking others. He, he says, not uh, the things which are Jesus Christ. In other words, if you're seeking the things of Christ, naturally you're going to be seeking what? People, because that's what uh, Jesus is all about. People, serving people. He actually demonstrated the greatest leadership there ought to, be, to, to, to demonstrate. And what was it? That he stooped down with towel in hand, washing feet. A remarkable example. And over here we see Timothy had the heart of Christ, not only the mind of Paul, but also a reflection of the heart of Christ. He had uh, simply uh, a selfless spirit. He was a servant. Look at verse 22. But you know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he had served with me in the gospel. He was a servant, serving alongside of Paul for the gospel's sake. Teachable spirit we can see also in this verse, that as a son with the Father. Naturally, a son goes along with the father and the father tells him things to do and he does it. And that was Timothy. He was happy with following Paul and submitting and being teachable, knowing that it was for the, for the ministry's sake, the gospel's sake, for the saints' sake. What a characteristic. May God help every single one of us, by the grace of God, become a follower, have a teachable spirit in the work of the ministry. Amen. Now go back and let's see another characteristics. I'm just going to give a brief description of every single one of these characteristics for the sake of time. We have several to turn to. But go back to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. And I want you to see another character here that we see in our passage called Demas. Demas was a forsaker. He forsook Paul. Another reason why the Apostle Paul wanted Timothy to uh, attend to his needs is because Demas forsook him in time of need. Have a look at verse 9. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas have what? Forsaking me. Now at one particular time, the Apostle Paul recommended or counted Demas as a fellow laborer. As he was writing to Philemon, he mentioned Demas as a fellow laborer. And so what's taking place here? Well, the Bible says that he had forsook Paul and uh, for the pleasures of this life. Can you imagine that? Now, uh, let me just say this to you, that it doesn't necessarily mean that perhaps he became an apostate or that he wasn't a true believer. It just perhaps meant that when the going... Uh, you know, got tough, he fled, you know, and he perhaps saw the Apostle Paul imprisoned in Rome, and he says, I'm out of here, if I'm going to stand with Paul, I might be persecuted, put in prison with him, couldn't handle it, and so he attended to the things of this life, and perhaps was, in, you know, entangled with the affairs of this life. As a matter of fact, if you go back to chapter number two, the Apostle Paul says very clearly to Timothy, don't be entangled with the affairs of this life, but as a good soldier, and perhaps he just said, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm quitting, I can't handle this. I'm just going to go back and sit in the pews. I'll just come to church on Sunday and uh, I'll just go home and, and tend to my business. I can't handle this. It could be the case that he, you know, continued to fellowship with the brethren, but he forsook Paul in the ministry when the going got tough. 
He was a forsaker. William MacDonald once said, one of the bitterest, bitterest experiences in Christian service is to be forsaken by those who were formerly once fellow laborers. Now, without a doubt, Demas was unfaithful. He was unfaithful to the Apostle Paul. When Paul needed him most, he fled, ditched him. He cared for his own pleasures. Then for a friend in need, Proverbs 25, 19, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. And so someone that is uh, once faithful now flees and forsakes you in the time of need is like the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, someone that cannot be uh, trusted or depended upon. It's like a foot out of joint, but also causes pain and heartache to a person. Now, we cannot overrule the fact or even the possibility, I should say, that Demas perhaps was a man that, you know, exhibited Christian attributes, had the form of godliness, but denied the power thereof. It could be the case because in chapter number three, the apostle Paul makes it very clear that in perilous times or dangerous times, uh, men will be traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Could be the case that this was Demas. He loved pleasure more than God and as a result he fled and forsook Paul. Could be the case, we're not sure. But uh, let's just say uh, in whatever case it is, forsaking the ministry or forsaking the work of the ministry, forsaking the things of God, uh, loving the pleasures of this life more than the things of God is not good. And we shouldn't do that. None of us in this room, by, by, you know, we shouldn't we, we fall in that category. As a matter of fact, if I were to impose a question to you right now and you'd answer it in your heart, where do you stand? Who do you really honestly love? Do you love the pleasures of this life more than God? You like the created things more than the creator himself? You like the blessings more than the blesser? Let's see another character here, a third character in verse 11. We see, only Luke is with me. Luke was a friend. Timothy was a follower. Demas was a forsaker. But here we see Luke to be a friend. And there's no doubt uh, 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 Timothy would have been a friend to to Paul. But uh, here we see Luke being a friend, a true friend, that perhaps from the first imprisonment of the apostle Paul to the second imprisonment Luke was perhaps with him what a wonderful thing to have a friend to be with you amen especially when you're in prison to have those prison visits would have been such a delight to have prison visits amen to have someone visit you in prison Uh, he says only Luke is with me so there were a few men that were with Paul but that they fled. Demas was one of them, but there were other men that fled perhaps for ministry's sake. Verse 12, it says over here that Paul sent Tychicus or Tychicus to Ephesus. And uh, in verse 10, we see Crescens went to Galatia, Titus went to Dalmatia. There's nothing negative mentioned about them. So it could be that they fled to their own ministry, laboring in the vineyard, but yet Paul was left alone with only Luke present with him. Some people need to attend to the work of God. And Paul was okay with that, amen? But he needed some people to be with him in order for him to finish those things that God had committed unto him. And we see that Luke was a friend in a very difficult circumstance. What a wonderful thing 
to have friends. Look, listen, let me tell you something. It's one thing to have fellow laborers in ministry, but it's another thing to have friends in the ministry. Because laborers may not, you know, hang around. They need to go, and that's fine. But friends in the ministry will always stick around through thick and thin. The Bible says in Proverbs 17, 7, a friend loveth at all times. And that was uh, Luke. I think, uh, if my memory serves me correct, that Paul met Luke at his second missionary journey um, uh, at Troas, uh, perhaps before he, 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 he left, and there he picked him up. You know, Luke was the writer of the book of Acts, and he writes uh, clearly uh, with pronouns that he would, we would assume that he was with Paul. He doesn't write about himself, but it, we'll assume from his writings that he was with Paul and laboring with him, and here the apostle Paul confirms that he was with him. And uh, a man of God said, a true, hearty, faithful friend loves in all times of adversary as well as prosperity. It is a very rare thing to find a friend that is a constant lover. Thank God for good friends. Thank God for that one friend that makes up the hundred that you lost. Praise God we need those good friends. Amen. Uh, you know, by the way, if we learn anything about friendship, we learn how Jonathan was a friend to David. Not only in the palace when David was playing music, but when David fled for his life from the wrath of King Saul, Jonathan, the king's son, was still a friend to David. Wow, what a blessing. What a blessing to have a friend like that. That even if his own father would uh, simply pursue someone that was innocent, by the way, he was innocent, David did nothing wrong. Only but want to serve God, and God had his hand upon him, and King Saul was jealous. But even when his own father wanted to pursue King David, his own son would stand with a friend over his father. You say, why? Because number one, for righteousness, and number two, because he was a true friend. May God help us be true friends. Amen. May God get, help us to be true friends when God gives us an opportunity to co-labor together with those that we work with closely. Number four example, John Mark. Have a look at verse 11. John Mark was fervent. Look at this. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is what? Profitable to me for the ministry. All right, once... Uh, in Paul's life, his first missionary journey, he didn't think much of John Mark. He didn't favor John Mark. Why? Because John Mark turned around soon after the first missionary journey and left Paul and Barnabas there <clears throat> and uh, went back. And the Apostle Paul perhaps was discouraged with the attitude of John Mark. And I want you to see this sharp contention in Acts 15 between John Mark's uncle, Barnabas, because when the second missionary journey took place, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark and Paul wouldn't have it. Say so why? He was discouraged with him. He was unfaithful, according perhaps to Paul. He was fearful. The work perhaps was hindered, although they completed the work of God. But have a look at verse 36. I want you to see something there. Verse 36. 
It says over here, the Bible says, And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with him John, whose surname was Mark, but Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to, what's that word? To the work. And so in the mind of the apostle Paul, he's unprofitable. He's actually going to do us, you know, delay us or hinder us. We're not taking him. And the Bible says there was a sharp contention between Barnabas and Paul. And the contention, verse 39, was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed under Cyprus. Now, let me just say something to you. There's perhaps something that Barnabas knew and knew this, that John Mark wasn't a failure that he continued to remain faithful and fervent, but perhaps was discouraged the first time, and then Paul picked, up, picked that up later and realized, well, you know, I can use him. He is uh, fervent, and he is faithful. You know what that tells us? It tells us that discouraged people can still be used in the work of God. Peter was discouraged. Now, to all people that, uh, of all the apostles that were uh, you know, simply discouraged, Peter was one of them. Remember when he denied the Lord three times and there he went back fishing? He was down and out in the Sea of Tiberias. He encouraged many of these uh, other disciples to go with him. And uh, Peter met the Lord. And they had some dinner, some fish, and some one-on-one you know, -on -one lesson. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, I do. Feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, feed my lambs. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, feed my sheep. If you love me, go do what I've called you to do. Man, imagine that, denying Christ. Man, that's a, it's a serious thing. But uh, there's one thing about the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew the heart of Peter. And he knew that Peter had a heart for the Lord, but needed to be encouraged and lifted up. And so, perhaps John Mark the same. Discouraged. So I can't handle this first. This is too intense, especially after seeing the Apostle Paul uh, deal with Bar Jesus. I mean, if you saw a sight like that, you'd probably tremble <laughs> and you'd think, man, there's a man that's causing, uh, you know, the heart of the uh, deputy to be turned away from the truth. Paul fastens his eyes upon Bar Jesus and rebukes him. Bar Jesus turns blind. What, a, what an absolute time of intensity. They even begin their missionary journey. By the way, that's how ministry is. If you think that ministry is all about love and hugs and kisses, you got it wrong. There's an adversary out there and he always wants to oppose the work of God while we reach souls. It's, I, I'm guarantee you, A.W. Tozer said, the Christian life is not a playground, it is a battlefield. Some men don't understand that. They think it's all fun and games and hugs and kisses and we're going to befriend everyone that names the name of Jesus Christ and is a laborer out there and they're all for the gospel because they're Christians. No. Bar Jesus was his name. The son of Jesus turned out to be a son of the devil. <laughs> Paul said to him, you're child of the devil, hindering the work of God and hindering uh, souls from coming to Christ. You can't be indifferent when you see that. Well, perhaps... John Mark was a bit fearful, turned back. But there's one thing that you don't see in John Mark's life. You don't see John Mark turn bitter against Paul because he said, I'm not taking him with me. You don't see that. As a matter of fact, they connected again later on and somehow when Paul wrote to Philemon, uh, Philemon 
uh, John Mark, Marcus is mentioned in the letter. So somehow they were working together and over here Paul calls for Timothy to pick up John Mark and bring him for he is profitable means useful for me in the ministry. You can have sharp contentions my friend but you don't have to be severed and not never work it together again. Amen? This is a beautiful example of people that had a disagreement once upon a time but continued to have harmony in ministry for the cause of Christ and for the sake of the gospel. It's a lie of the devil when you see this. A lot of people want to use this passage to say, see, it's good that we part ways and that there were, you know, we could just simply have a sharp, sharp contention and uh, you can go in your corner and I'll go in my corner and see you later. We, you know, and, you know, no, it's not what it says here. You can have a little disagreement about something, but later on we see the Apostle Paul pick up Marcus, John Mark, and want to use him again. What a blessing. And we see John Mark perhaps not even shrugging or saying, no, he rejected me before. I'm not going to be serving him with him again. Forget about it. No, you don't see that attitude with John Mark. Probably John Mark you know, could understand the heart of Paul realizing, I let him down the first time. I can understand why he feels like this and needed some time to prove himself. And he did. What a blessing. What an absolute blessing. Another character we see. Oh, this is something that we don't want to be. Alexander the coppersmith. Have a look. In 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Alexander was a foe. He wasn't a follower. Wasn't even a forsaker. He didn't labor with the Apostle Paul. Uh, he wasn't a friend. He wasn't fervent. As a matter of fact, he was a foe. He was the enemy of the Apostle Paul. Have a look. Alexander the coppersmith did me much what? Evil. And you know what? The Apostle Paul was trying to warn Timothy about him and about this evil man. Perhaps this is the same Alexander found in the first epistle written to Timothy when Paul exposes uh, Alexander, the same person, perhaps, where he says that he made his faith shipwrecked. In other words, he became a heretic. In any case, Paul mentions that he did harm to him or he did much evil toward him. You know, Paul had many enemies. Paul had many enemies who wanted to kill him. Have a look at Acts chapter number 23. I want you to see something there. Now I want you to see verse 11. The comfort of Jesus Christ assuring the apostle Paul and the night following the Lord stood by him and said be of good cheer Paul as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem so must thou bear witness also at Rome now why does he give this admonition why does uh, Jesus give this assurance to the apostle Paul well there are 40 men we're going to see that purposed to kill Paul they purposed to kill kill him to get rid of him and it reaches Paul's ears and so here we have prophecy from the Lord saying, you're not going to die. You're still going to be used in Rome. So this is how we know that the Apostle Paul was in the will of God. Verse 12, And when it was day, certain men of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would never eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Imagine that. We're not, not going to eat nor drink until Paul is dead. Talk about commitment. And there were more than 40 which had made, more than 40, 
which had made this conspiracy. And they came to the chief priests and elders and said, we, are bound, we bound ourselves under a great curse that we will, no, we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. Now therefore, ye with the council signify to the chief captain that he bring him down under you tomorrow as thou ye would inquire something more perfectly concerning him and we or ever he come near and we'll be ready to kill him. So in other words, get him ready uh, for us. Uh, you know, tell him that we, we want to uh, deal with him and bring him down so we can catch him and kill him. Verse 16, and when Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul. And then, one called, uh, and, uh, then Paul called one of the centurions under him and said, Bring this young man under the chief captain, for he had a certain thing to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the chief captain and, and said, Paul, the prisoner, called, called me under him and prayed me to bring this young man under thee who has something to say unto him. And then he tells him how these men have conspired to kill Paul and they want to trap him and they want to kill him. In verse 27, we see this man was taken... Uh, of the Jews and, 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 he, he, and should have been killed of them. Then came I with an army and rescued him, having understood that he was a Roman. Now, uh, he intervened. He comes before the chief and he somehow delivered from these wicked men. He said, why, why do you say this? I'll just say that for the Apostle Paul, uh, you know, simply had, uh, you know, a hit on him. He had enemies. For what purpose? For preaching the gospel. For marking out deceivers. For preaching against sin. For having the heart of God. For being a man of righteousness. For preaching the resurrection. By the way, as far as I know, it's not mentioned in scripture, these men are dead. These 40 plus men. You say, how'd they die? From hunger? I'm just assuming once they didn't catch him. I mean, by the way, when these put, people put themselves under an oath, they, was, they stuck by it. You know, God's 10 step ahead of his enemies. God knows all things. God knew what they were going to do before they even planned to do it. That's why he came to Paul by night and said, listen, I'm, I'm going to be with you. And you're going, to be testi- you're going to testify of me even in Rome as you did in Jerusalem. What a blessing. We're going to see a little bit later on about the character of God. But we see Alexander do him much evil. He was his enemy. He was his foe. And he was warning Timothy from him. In verse 15, he says this. He says, Of whom he thou were also, of whom thou also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. So it could be that the Apostle Paul stood trial in, in Rome and perhaps under the hand of Nero and was being convicted for his crimes. And here we have perhaps Alexander testifying against him. Or against his words. It could be the case. It doesn't state how Alexander doing much harm. But he did that much evil to Paul. That he would just simply be on his tail. Would not let him alone. And uh, just would hinder him to the extreme. Now look at verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his what? Works. So Paul was simply saying that the Lord will deal with him. But I need you to just be careful from him. He's warning Timothy from Alexander. And so the Lord is going to deal with him. There's nothing wrong with that, brethren. If the Apostle Paul has an understanding that this man is the enemy of the gospel and the enemy of the cross, 
Well, the Lord's going to take care of him. The Lord is going to deal with him. And by the way, he will deal with him. Vengeance is mine, say the Lord. I will repay. He's going to be repaid for his actions. Everybody will be repaid for their actions, those that go against God and his work. You know what the folly of fool, you know what the folly of fool is? The folly of fool is this, thinking that God has dementia or God is blind. Have a look, please, in Psalms 10. I want you to see, that's the folly of fools. To live life thinking that God is not watching or taking note because things are not taking place imminently, that things are not taking place, you know, uh, when we want them to take place. No, God is not, God's going to deal with Alexander. But listen, Timothy, uh, until then, watch out for him. Watch out for that crook and criminal. People that want to, he, he withstood our words and so he will do that very same with you. You know, these men are creeps. They creep in and they hinder the work of God. Very careful. Psalm 10 and look at verses 1. Why standest thou afar, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. For the wicked boasteth of his uh, of his heart's desire and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. His ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As far of, uh, as, as for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. He hath said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. He sitteth in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places doth he murder the innocent. His eyes are privily against the poor. He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in the den and lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor and when he draweth him into his net, he croucheth and humbleth himself that the poor may fall by his strong ones. Now look at this. He hath said in his heart, what? God hath forgotten. No, he doesn't have dementia. He's, he remembers what's taking place. He hideth his face. He will never see it. No, he sees it. He sees everything. Arise, O Lord God, lift up thy hand, forget not the humble. Wherefore doth the wicked contempt God? He hath said in his heart, thou will not require it. No, he will. No, no, the day is coming. Listen, brethren, Alexander the coppersmith, his day, he's going to have in court, but the court's in heaven. His day's coming. And why does the Holy Spirit record this for us? Because it's a sober warning that God is not going to overlook any injustice. When I was going through uh, 2 Samuel, and I was peering, uh, coming you know, to the end of the book, and I was coming close to uh, finishing uh, the epistle of Samuel and coming to 1 Kings. And in chapter 20, we see uh, a man rise up named Sheba to oppose King David. This was after the death of Absalom. And, uh, and so, you know, King David calls for uh, Amasma, um, uh, and, he, and he basically tells them to assemble uh, the army of Judah to go against Sheba. And so this was like a promotion for Amasa and a demotion of Joab. Joab gets whim of it, is a bit jealous, and then he sees Amasa. 
He says, how are you doing? I'm just paraphrasing for the sake of time. How's your health? And Amasa didn't see the sword in Joab's hand, embraces him, and in the fifth rib, sticks it in him, and he dies. This is King David appoints Amasa, faithful, righteous man, to go after Sheba, to, to, to pursue him. You know what Sheba was doing? He was doing worse than what uh, Absalom was doing. He was turning people away from the king and drawing a following. That's what Absalom did. So we've got to deal with Sheba, the son of Bichri. And so he sends him. And so before you know, he can go and you know, do what the king told him to do, we have Joab <clears throat> get rid of him. And I'm um, going through the next chapter. You know, four chapters, a lot, a lot of things take place. There's a lot of months that transpire. You know, you read one page and it's almost like a year can... can, can tra- so you got from chapter 20 to all the way to the end of the book. First, I'm like, Lord, where's the justice for asthma? Amasa, where, where is it? I'm just... I couldn't work it out. How's Joab... You know, simply get away with this. Lo and behold, 1 Kings chapter number 2. God, uh, King David anoints Solomon. And he anoints Solomon and he gives him some instruction. I want you to turn there as a matter of fact. I want you to see this. In 1 Kings chapter number 2. Look at verse 2. I go in the way of all the earth. Uh, We'll start from verse 1. Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. Be strong and be a man. He says in verse 3, And keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, Thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, and whithersoever thou turnest thyself that the Lord may continue his word which he spoken concerning me, saying, If thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee a man or, or on the throne of Israel. Moreover, moreover, thou knowest also what Joab the son of Zeruiah did to me. And what he did to the two captains of the host of Israel, unto Abner, the son of Ner, and unto who? Amasa, the son of Jerath, Jetha, whom he slew. Look, Look what he says. And shed the blood of the war in peace, and put the blood of war upon his girdle that was about his loins, and his shoes that were on his feet. Look at this. Do therefore according to thy wisdom and let not his hoary head go down to the grave. You know what King David was saying? Justice. Justice. You know what Solomon said to Joab before he actually had justice upon him and he was judged and condemned and died? That these two people that he put to death were more righteous than him. You know, God is going to deal with every single person in his righteous judgment, mark it down. God doesn't miss a beat. God will balance the books. He does, he's the great accountant. He will deal with man according to their works. Now, when I see something like this, hey, Timothy, God's going to take care of Alexander. Don't worry. 
Oh yeah, but you know, don't we aren't we for mercy and and, 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 and yeah, absolutely. But don't give that which is holy to the who. Don't cast your pearls before pigs. And when the kingdom comes outside other dogs. Why does God be to the church at Philippi? Beware of the dogs. Why does God talk uh, you know, that kind of language to men? Because they're the enemies of the cross. They are against God's way. They oppose God's word and they are hindering people from getting to heaven. That's what the uh, Pharisees did. Their damnation is so great because they would not enter into the kingdom of heaven and they wouldn't allow other people to enter in. They hinder the work of God and to hinder the work of God, listen, is to hinder the souls of men. We're talking about people. We're not talking about money or different things of that nature. We're talking about people's eternal soul. And so over here, Alexander was after Paul because Paul's ministry would be hindered from preaching the gospel to the Gentiles and those that God will use uh, you know, to, to, in order for him to get the word out. And so we see very clearly a man that was a foe of the apostle Paul. This is what we don't want to be. We don't want to be people that are used by the hand of the devil to go and hinder the work of God. May God deliver us from such condition that we would not be taken by the dissimulation of such men. Amen? But the last character, and we're done. God. Have a look at verse 16. God is faithful. God is faithful. We have Timothy, who was a what? Follower. We have Demas, who was a what? A forsaker. Luke was a friend. Who else do we have? We have John Mark, fervent. We have Alexander, a foe. But listen, we have God who is faithful. God who is faithful. Look at verse 16. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I can only think that in context, Paul is referring to his trial in, you know, in, in court regarding his crimes. There could have been men that would have spoke up to help Paul against these allegations. But it seems that they fled and didn't want a part of it. And so the Apostle Paul stands alone. It couldn't be that Luke perhaps even fled. He says, Luke is with me. But whether Luke was you know, someone that could be used in a court as such as that, in that context, we're not really sure. But all we know is that he was standing alone. And he had no advocate, no solicitor, no lawyer, no witnesses, but God. By the way, brethren, when we don't have any of these and we have God, that's all we need. Because at the end, if you're living in the will of God, and at the end of all that, my friend, you might come, even though you have faithful friends, and even you have laborers, and even if you have people that are just simply there for you, people that you uh, care about and they care about you, even then, at your lowest point of persecution, when your time is up, you still feel that you're alone. But God is with you. Because I think, listen, man's limited. Luke's limited in what he can do. It's out of my hands, Paul. I wish I could be there for you. They're just limited. Those people that perhaps could, gone. 
But he says very clearly, all men forsook me. I pray God that this may not be laid to their charge. Big contrast between uh, you know, that plea with uh, Alexander, isn't it? Now, Alexander's going to get what he gets, but these men, may God have mercy upon them. Maybe they were fearful and ignorant, right? I don't think the same judgment upon Demas would take place like Alexander. I mean, come on, let's, let's have sense and biblical sense here, right? And so this is where it comes into play that these men perhaps were fearful, buckled, fled. But notice what he said. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. What a blessing. What an absolute blessing. But the Lord stood with me. Who's with me? Only Luke, Nug. No. I just want to tell you something. The Lord was with me. In that court case, when I stood and I had no man, the Lord was with me. And what did he do? He strengthened me. Why? By me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Wow, what an amazing thing. The Lord was with him. Universal truth regarding any faithful believer of God, serving God, that God will be with you. God was there at my defense. God was my mediator. God was my advocate. God is the one move the hearts of men. He can turn it around. He can flip it on his head. He can. We've got to remember God is with us when we're serving the Lord and we're in the will of God and we're walking upright. God is with us. He will not forsake us. Albert Barnes said, "All oh, though all men forsake me, yet God did not. Amen? Over here we see three areas in which God was faithful. Number one, the Lord, he said, strengthened Paul. God's grace is sufficient. He said, he strengthened me and he strengthened me. His strength is made what? Perfect in weakness. One thing is for certain that God will uphold and help you in time of need. You can mark that down. God is not limited in the way he can help you. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things that you have for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Why was God strengthening Paul? For what purpose? So he can just get out of prison and live his life? What purpose? Have a look at verse 17. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might what? Hear. Listen, that Paul would continue to preach the word in season and out of season. You know, the Apostle Paul, God's hand was on him from the beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry and God's grace was upon him. Have a look at Acts chapter 9. Look at this in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, look at verse 22. <clears throat> this is the beginning of his ministry. After the Lord met him at the road of Damascus, he and then later on, he met with uh, a man of God that God, uh, you know, just simply Ananias together, that they 
uh, and, and the Lord used Ananias uh, to reach Paul. And the Bible says, so Paul increased more in what? Strength and confounded the Jews which dwell at Damascus, proving that this is the very Christ. Verse 23, and after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to what? So from the beginning of his ministry, they wanted Paul dead, to the end of his ministry. Why? Because he preached the truth. Why? Because he contended with the Jews. Anything wrong with that? No. He wanted them to be saved and those that were listening to be saved. He wanted uh, not only the Jews to be saved, but the Gentiles to be saved. He had the heart uh, beat of God. He wanted to see people saved and know the truth. The truth make them free. There's nothing wrong with that. But when that takes place, be mark, mark it down. The enemy's going to come and he's going to pursue you. But guess, guess what? The very same vein, God will strengthen you and raise you up to continue to preach in the face of your enemies. That's the beginning of his ministry. Have a look at chapter 28. See how chapter 28 closes. Chapter 28, look at uh, verse 20, uh, 28. Chapter 28, look at verse 28. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves and Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in on him, preaching the kingdom of God, teaching those things which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ. And with all, what's that word there? Confidence, no man forbidding him. See, from the beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry, he had the boldness and the courage and confidence that God will be with him preaching the word of God. That's the whole purpose that God was with him, to strengthen him to preach the word. Second of all, we see that God was with him in our passage to save Paul. Have a look at verse 17. Notwithstanding, in 2 Timothy 4, notwithstanding, he says, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, that all the Gentiles might hear it, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Now some say uh, here that the lion represents Nero or even the devil. Regardless, it was his adversary. But what do you mean the mouth of the lion? Well, it could be, you know, portray or predict or picture the fact that he was going to be executed. That his judgment was coming. He was going to be put to death. His death sentence was just around, you know, uh, perhaps prolonged. He delivered him. The sentence perhaps was adjourned. <laughs> Amen. I mean, Paul knew that he was going to die. I mean, this concept is not far in the mouth of the lion. I mean, what happened when Daniel was convicted? He went to the lion's den. Execution, death sentence, right? And so the Lord delivered him from the mouth of the lion. Could be that at that particular point that the Lord uh, delayed his departure. Why? So he can fulfill God's will. So he can continue to preach to the Gentiles and say and stand that I have finished my course. I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. And by the way, that's why God wants to preserve us. That we would reach the point of our lives. I mean, he knew that his departure was at hand. But how did the Lord deliver him? From the mouth of the lion? From, from the very thing, perhaps, to the hammer going down, saying, okay, I still, got my, I still have time to do the very thing that God wants me to do. Brethren, we are, when we're in the will of God, doing what God wants us to do, listen very carefully. Then we'll go in, good God, in God's good timing. Can you imagine not being in the will of God and living longer? Is that prosperity? 
Oh. Maybe in the eyes of the world, preservation is prosperity. <laughs> well, no, dying in the will of God, doing the will of God, that's prosperity. That's prosperity. That's the safest place to be. It's not that the Apostle Paul was afraid of dying. I mean, we know his account. For me to live is what? Die, and to die is what? Gain. Oh, sorry, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Right? So we know his manner of life. As a matter of fact, notice verse 18. We see here another third thing that he, the Lord was with him. The Lord will secure Paul. Have a look. Verse 18. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his what? Heavenly kingdom. Well, there it is. What was every evil work? I mean, evil was already besetting him. Alexander the coppersmith, or maybe perhaps what Alexander was trying to do, flopped, was adjourned, didn't come to pass, even though he was absolutely trying with all his strength to get poor at that particular time, it failed. Praise God. When it succeeds, you know it's time to go home. Amen. But when it's not time to go, because by the way, only God says time's up. You want to play, the, you know, you want to take the place of God and take things in your own hand? You are in big trouble with God. But only God says time's up. God will deliver him from every evil work. Perhaps the attempt to shut down the ministry of Paul in reaching out to the Gentiles with the gospel. Perhaps to cause Paul to fear for his life and hinder the gospel preaching ministry. But listen, in Acts chapter 20, Paul already determined that none of these things move me. Neither do I count my life dear unto myself. Why? That I might finish my course with what? Joy. You think death? or the threat, uh, being threatened by death, stop Paul from doing what God called him to do? Forget about it. No. The Holy Spirit already witnessed that Paul was going to suffer in Jerusalem. But in Acts chapter 9, God already told him he was going to suffer. The Holy Spirit was only giving him heads up. Like when God appeared to him and said, hey, listen, you're going to be a testimony. Not only in Jerusalem, but in Rome. And by the way, he was. When he penned down the letter to the, uh, uh, to the church at Philippi, he told them what happened to him. <laughs> don't, don't be concerned. What's happening to me here in prison is for the furtherance of the gospel. Wow. <laughs> you read it, Philippians chapter 1. God was able to deliver him from every evil work so he may finish well and listen, preserve him to be in the kingdom of God. What a blessing. Have a look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. I want you to see this. We're still in the same book or same letter. Paul knew that death was a promotion. What man uh, means for evil, what God meant, uh, sorry, what men meant for evil, God uses for good. Or he can turn it around, amen? Have a look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse 7. For God had not given us a spirit of what? But of power and of love and of a sound mind, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But be thou a partaker of the affliction of the gospel according to the power of God. Look at verse 11. 
whereunto I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I do suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Why? For I know who I believed, and I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that what? Day. See? He hoped in the fact that he knew that God was able to preserve him to the heavenly kingdom. Death to him was not in any way, shape or form a threat. He knew that God was faithful, that what he began in the Apostle Paul, he would finish it. What a blessing. God is faithful. God is faithful. God will continue his work in you. He will discipline you if he has to, to get you where you need to be. But you must continue to be in the will of God, fearful, uh, in a sense of the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, not fearing man. For the fear of man bringeth a what? Snare. But whosoever putteth their trust in the Lord shall be made safe. God has not given us a spirit of fear. But of power, of love and of sound mind. God is faithful to strengthen us. You know, this is Paul's motivation. I mean, if you talk about being motivated to do what God has called you to do, this is it. You know, God has never let me down. Listen, brethren, God will never let you down. People will let you down, but not God. Never look at God in the light of people. When this thing, certain things are taking place, and you know, many of you know the story, I'm not going to rehash these things, but when all these things were taking place and we were in the thick of it, someone, you know, one of the ladies that was still here in our church said to me, you know, you know, don't you feel like anything toward God, like he's allowed this to happen? I'm thinking, whoa, whoa. So what are you talking about? It's not God's fault. When tragedy hits or when uh, an evil work is done or when man gets in the flesh, we do not blame God. So I'm not going to blame God for the affairs and the decisions and the carnality of men. I'm quite content with what God has allowed and I will trust him all the way. Because why? God is faithful. God is faithful. It's in our text or in the same book. Have a look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want you to see it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 11. This is a faithful saying. For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he'll also, he will deny us. If we believe not, he abideth what? He cannot deny himself. Listen, that's who God is. Faithful is he that calleth you that will do it. Brethren, I don't know whether or not you are trusting God and in the will of God. And you perhaps are not certain that I am. But one thing is for sure, whether you are or whether I am, listen, God is faithful. And it is God that will keep us from evil. You can count on the Lord. This whole sermon is, guess what? No matter what men may say, no matter if there are demises out there that flee, or Alexander the coppersmith, God is with me. Thank God for the friends. 
Thank God for the followers. But thank God for his goodness. Because without it, brethren, all of us will be done. Finished. If it weren't for this friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You know why? Because God can meet the needs that no one else can meet in your life, not even your spouse. Not even the closest one that sleeps in the same bed as you cannot fill the gap that only God can fill. God is good. He's faithful all the way. He knows what you're going through. And if you're in his will, he'll take care of you. He'll give you grace upon grace. You know what motivated Paul? 2 Timothy 4 verse 1. I charge you, Timothy, by what? Before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who judged the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. In verse 8 he says, For the Lord shall deliver me, uh, sorry, uh, uh, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Look at this. Not to me only. But who else? But all them also that what? Love is appearing. You know what motivated the Apostle Paul? His love that caused him to love him back and to be faithful to the end. I'm loving to anticipate his appearing. I cannot wait to be with him. But not to me only. But every other person that is looking for his coming and not only looking but loving his coming. What a wonderful thing that is. Are you anticipating his coming? Are you looking and loving his appearing and you say, can't wait till you come? I want to be with you face to face. Only someone that's in the will of God can do that. Only someone that is not only taking a hold of God, but God has a hold of them. And he's not going to let go because he's faithful. Long time ago, my beloved brethren, I said to the Lord, deliver me from me. You know me more than anybody else. And you know what will keep me in your will. I even said to the Lord, if you need to put me in the wheelchair, do it. Many of the brethren, or a few of them, played on it and said, we hope we don't see you in a wheelchair. Thinking, whoa. But if you do, you can count on it that I'm in the will of God. And that's where I want to be. You can still have your legs and walk and be out of God's will. What a terrible, miserable place to be. But if you see me in the wheelchair or on crutches, Brother Dylan, you know God's hands upon you. Praise God. I'd rather have God's hand upon me and be in the will of God than to be outside of God's will and be prosperous. Because true prosperity is when you rely on God's faithfulness. Amen? Let's pray.